Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Kieran Yates. And there are, depending on when you listen to this, between 46 and 39 days until Christmas. Coming up, Tracy Thorne, she of Everything But The Girl, joins us in the studio to fire the Christmas starting pistol. We'll be talking about her Christmas album, Tinsel and Lights, and her new book, Bedsit Disco Queen. Plus, we'll be reviewing three new tracks in Singles Club. Also in the pod, we talk mobos and one half of dubstep duo Digital Mystics, Mala, reveals his adventures with Giles Peterson in Cuba. That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. This week's Alexis is in France, but joining me in the studio is the ever-reliable Michael Han from the Music Desk. Hello. Hello, Kieran. How are you? You didn't know Alexis was in France meeting Johnny Alliday, though, did you? And no. you didn't even know who Johnny Alliday no, was. I didn't. I did A not. Horror. But here, this is what I come here for, to get schooled. Um, and also, our very special guest this week, Tracy Thorne. Hello. Welcome. I, I do know who Johnny Alliday is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <Yes. laughs> Someone has to. Um, how are you, Tracy? Good, thank it's, you. It's all going on for you, isn't it, at the moment? Yes. There's Books, this, having, albums. Yes, having spent time hiding myself away, then I've decided to unleash everything at once, more or less. How, how is so, it all going? It's how good. Is... It's good. I mean, the Christmas record's out now, so I'm basically, you know, concentrating on that at the moment. Having sung about divorces, mm. moving on to Christmas makes one suspect there might be a thematic link in there. <laughs> is <laughs> that the case? <laughs> Well, really, the Christmas album should have come first, shouldn't it? And then the divorce song. <laughs> yes, I can see a whole new genre <laughs> the Christmas divorce album. Well, you can move through the whole set of bank holidays, couldn't yes, you? Yes, yes. In terms of their strain upon families. Mm. Tinsel and Lights does certainly concentrate on the downbeat side of Christmas. Is, is that the way you feel about the season? Uh, no, not particularly. I think, you know, I was just choosing... When I decided to do the record, I thought, well, I'm not just going to do all the sort of standard Christmas songs. So then I just widened the net a bit to include any songs that are wintry, talk about snow, ice, anything like that. So at that point, I was just choosing songs I liked. And inevitably, I'm drawn towards the perhaps more melancholy type of song. So that's more to do with my instincts, really. That's what I quite liked about it, though. It did feel like there were wider preoccupations other than just Christmas, and it did feel quite haunting and melancholic about other things going on in your life or looking back. You know? Well, Christmas is a very is a very short time period, and if you're going to restrict yourself to that, then you're making a record that people are really only going to list, want to listen to for about two weeks of the year. So I thought, you know, I want to broaden it a bit and make a record that people can listen to at other times as well. It kind of fits into the Christmas music that we had before Christmas music was reinvented as sleigh bells and jingling, because I mean a lot of old English Christmas music tends to dwell on the grimness of winter and the brief escape that one has from it. So, well, that's you know. very true. And one of the songs that I've written on the record is this song "Joy" that opens the record, and really that song is all about what I think Christmas is for, which is the whole point of it is that it's that it's there to cheer ourselves up, a in the midst of winter and b in the midst of our lives, which <laughs> often we need cheering up from, and that's why we invent things like Christmas because we all need you know, things to look forward to, times that make us all get together, things that make us celebrate. And so if you're going to say that, then you have to then allow for the the darker elements of life that require the light to be let in on them. So Let's hear a few of those tracks from the album now. I saw you standing in the corner On the edge of a Martini, it literally floored her 
stays pretty green I'm gonna make a lot of money Then I'm gonna quit this crazy scene I wish I had a river I could skate away on I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to I wish I had a river I could skate away So that was In the Cold Cold Night, originally sung by The White Stripes. Your own track, Tinsel and Lights, and the last was Joni Mitchell, and that was called River. It was a Tracy Thorne mashup. It was a mashup. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing mashups back on the pod. Absolutely. Like Chris- Christmas mashup, I liked it. Uh, how did you go about choosing the songs, Tracy? Did you have a vast pile? of vaguely seasonal things to yes. then winnow down and see what worked together. Exactly. I made a list, as I say, of anything, you know, that had anything wintry about it. And then it was just a question of choosing the ones I could sing, you know, that roughly in the right key, or I thought I could add something to, or I immediately had an idea for an arrangement. You know, we tried some that didn't work, so I just crossed them off, um, just narrowed it down like that. What didn't work? Go on, tell us what you recorded but didn't get reach the album. Actually, nothing got as far as being recorded. It was more a question of sitting at the piano and noodling around and going, no, that's not really happening, or I can't think what to do. You're noodling at the piano and bellowing, It's Christmas! (laughs) That's what we wanted. Yeah, I just couldn't get enough volume. (laughs) Because it wasn't recorded. Well, when was it recorded? We started doing it back in March. (laughs) Yeah, we kept saying, we should put the tree back up. You know, has anyone got any lights? Because it is really hard. You, You keep thinking... You know, is this enough sleigh bells? Is this too many sleigh bells? Who's I don't know. Yeah, you, what, I think you, you you get the sleigh bells just there's just a hint of sleigh, yes. sleigh bells from time to time. Too many sleigh bells, and I don't know. You're going into yeah. Valdunican's Christmas special territory, aren't you? The trouble is, once you start sh- shaking your sleigh bells, <laughs> right, you actually can't stop. <laughs> if you bring them in on a track, we we kept trying this on tracks, and we'd start going. We just bring them in on the verse and take them out. And you go, no, no. Once they're in, that's it. They just kind of dominate. You can't get rid of them. In his, in his gushing review of the record, Alexis Petridis made the point that a Christmas duet between you and Green Gartside of Scritti would have sounded something like a practical joke played by the Comintern <laughs> back in the early 80s. Were you thinking at all about the absurdity of it all? And did it make you look back and wonder at the younger you, which presumably is something you've been doing through your memoir as well? It's true. I mean, when I read that from Alexis, I have to say, I did cry laughing. I just thought that was a brilliant <laughs> idea, the kind of incongruity of me and Green doing something like that yes I mean I have been going trawling back through my past you know having written this book and it's very true you know the the me I was at the beginning of my career I think would have been I don't know if appalled at the idea of making a Christmas record but it just would have felt uncomfortable I would have felt that it was completely out of character although in a way actually when your career started you were very much part of a DIY scene with the marine girls and now the entire music industry is moving back towards that model and mm. you're recording for Buzz and Fly. Does it feel very familiar to you to be out on your own without a major label behind you again? It does, and it, for me it's quite comfortable. I, I actually prefer 
being in control, you know, being able to make decisions myself. But on the other hand, I think it's easy for me to say that because I'm at this stage in my career. You know, I've had the experience of being on a major. I've had mainstream success and it was great. And it's easy for me now to be able to step back and operate, you know, at a more underground level. I'm happy with that. What I don't know is what it feels like when you're starting out now. And whilst there is this wonderful self-supporting DIY scene, it's quite hard now, I think, to actually get the attention to raise yourself above the other millions of people who are all releasing their tracks very easily. So that, I think, must make it very difficult. And kind of this um, reimagining of your identity, because in the book you talk about flitting between being called a disco diva and an indie darling and kind of all manner of other things. And so how does it feel now, kind of establishing yourself later on in your career and thinking about your identity in that way? Well, it's partly gets easier as you get older anyway. I just feel I've reached the point now where... As I say, there's been so many things said about me that it's almost impossible for anyone to say anything that shocks me or makes me feel undermined because I just think, well, I've heard all the descriptions and actually I can see truth in a lot of them. You know, I don't have this unrealistic idea anymore that, you know, I've got to be this, otherwise I don't count. You know, I just feel, well, I'm a little bit of all those things. And You've always been a ton of different things. I mean, the mm. Marine girls were very different from everything but the girl, and you, the stuff that you did with Working Week was different again. Mm. I mean, you've been, through so many, you've been through so many different kinds of music in the first six or seven years of your career mm. that you were impossible to typecast, surely. But, but you still feel there's the pressure from outside for people wanting to view you in a particular way? Or? Well, I think it makes it harder for people if, if you're a bit difficult to typecast. And I understand that, that people, who, especially who are trying to write about you or you know, fit you into genres, you do make it more difficult for them. And sometimes I feel that when I was moving between them, that it was perhaps easier sometimes to you know, slightly leave me out of roundups of genres because I wasn't completely part of them. So if people were then defining what constituted a completely indie artist you'd think, well, I've got one foot in that camp, but I've got one foot somewhere else, so then I don't completely fit, so we'll just leave her out then. Don't <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So sometimes you can almost be make it awkward for yourself because you know it's easier for people not to include you in, in a list because you don't archetypally fit one particular thing. And you've had a, a kind of spurt of creativity in the past few years with your memoir, with, with solar records and so on. Am I imagining that it's been a spurt of creativity because it's been more visible or has there been a genuine burst of creativity from you? There has. I mean, I, I, I had a long period of not doing anything in public at all. When the kids were small, I really did stop. Um, I stopped making records for about six years and during that time, you know, I didn't do any, any work that was visible in public at all. I was at home bringing out my kids. I actually then, the first thing I did, which was my return, was start writing the book and that was back in about 2006. And it was really me saying, because so many people kept saying to me, well, why have you stopped making music? It's a bit weird. And I couldn't tell whether it was weird or not. So I actually started writing down what I'd done in my life, almost to make sense of it to myself. It was almost like, you know, trying to get control over it. And while I was doing it, it just started to remind me of the things I'd done and why I'd done them and, you know, what music had meant to me. So actually, I then put the book aside and went back to recording and made a couple of albums. Um, And it was only last year that I thought, well, I'll finish this book and... See if people want to read it. How old are your kids, Tracy? Uh, they're now 14, 14 and 11. Now, this is unrelated <laughs> to music at all. This is, this is more for my interest. Do your kids actually spend their own money on Christmas presents for their families? My daughter, who's 12, is demanding money from me so she can buy Christmas presents back for us, <laughs> which I think is a disgrace. It is, but I know exactly what you mean. Um, the trouble is they don't really have their own money, do they, at this age, I suppose, unless they've got a Saturday well, job. pocket money. Yeah, so they're supposed to save it up. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. 
I think my kids are on the point of doing the same and asking me for money for Christmas presents. Oh, it's all wrong. Anyway, sorry, yes. that, that, was, that was a digression. Well, then we just need to send them up the chimneys. It's <laughs> the only answer. Well, I keep telling my wife when yes. they're 16, they go and get satellite jobs. Your kids aren't allowed to listen to hip-hop, so they already have it quite it's, hard, don't it's, they? It's not that they're not allowed to. It, it's, it's that my wife won't allow me to play hip-hop in the house because of all the swearing in it. But that predated the kids. That was because she didn't want to hear it. But of course it's not an issue now because I got rid of 1,500 CDs last week and half term. I did the root and branch purge of the entire collection. That's Sorry, that, that was a bit off topic, <laughs> no, that's fine. That was, that was perfect anyway. That was great. And, uh, and actually, like you were saying, I think we've all been listening to the album this week and it doesn't feel like it's completely out of place to be listening to it in sort of October, November time. Well, that's good, because I do feel a bit guilty. You know, everyone moans about the mince pies being in the shops before you've even got back from your summer holiday. And I thought, I don't actually want to be part of this awful thing of foisting Christmas upon people. <laughs> uh, but I think now we're in November, it doesn't feel so bad. Well, I think this week is actually the ideal week. Now the weather has turned and yes. gone properly cold. Yes, and we've had bonfire nights. So yeah. And I don't Christmas think anyone would put you in the same category as hearing what I want for Christmas in Sainsbury's. You're, I hope not. You're yeah. all right, don't worry, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> And in case you missed it, Tracy Thorne's new Christmas album, Tinsel and Lights, is out now on Strange Feeling Records. Her autobiography, Bedsit Disco Queen, will be out in February next year. Next up, time for Singles Club, where we review the tracks you're blogging about. Tracy, let's hear your choice first. That was Mike Diaz, a.k.a. Million Young, and his new track, Lovin'. Tracy, tell us a little bit about that and why you brought it in. Um, I chose it really um, because it's so summery. <laughs> and I thought when I started trying to think something, I thought it'd be nice to find a Christmas song. Wouldn't it? Who's done a Christmas song? And I actually couldn't find anything I liked. So I thought, oh, well, I won't do that. And then I'll do the opposite. So actually, I heard this coming out of Ben's office last week. He got sent it and oh, was yeah. playing it. And I said, what's that? This is great. And it's just nice and summery, so I thought, well, let's completely turn away from sleigh bells and Christmas music and listen to something that sounds different. It, it has the feeling of a video in which uh, a woman in a spaghetti strap dress is dancing in a beachfront bar with her arms over her head, half looking over her left shoulder. You know, the classic uh, shot yes. from those kind of... I know, well... As it's what I do all the time. <laughs> um, That's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> sketches yeah no I really liked it I really liked those kind of echoey vocals and that sort of wistfulness it's reminded me of um, a track by Roosevelt that Alexis brought in a few weeks ago which had a similar kind of vibe to it which yeah I quite liked it mm. thought it was good well, I must confess, I know absolutely nothing at all about this artist, whatever. So in terms of context, I can add nothing. But I mean, this the kind of lush 80s-ness of, of this and the increasing amount of music like this, I find quite fascinating. It's like we're working our way through all the different strands of the 80s, one little bit at a time. Um, we've done the post-punk, we've done jangly indie, and now we're moving on to the kind of lush mid-80s dance pop, which does bring back that kind of Proustian rush of uh, feeling like I'm 16 and watching Top of the Pops all over again. 
I'm going to see if I can name check Proust in my next review. Uh, that, <laughs> so all, all, music, all music writers, <laughs> it's, it's a law, all music writers have to use Proustian Rush once a month. I don't know why, but... Oh, I've just come here to learn. Million Young's new album, Variable, comes out 12th of February on Old Flame Records. And there's a mixtape Million Young did for The Guardian, available at guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly. Next up, Michael's Choice. That was Blue Velvet by Childhood. Michael, tell us about that. Well, Childhood are one of a, a few new English indie bands who are coming back and concentrating on songs again. I mean, I think them and Palmer Violets, who they've toured with, um, although they don't sound the same, are kind of very much two sides of the same coin. And there's a certain amount of hysteria among you know, kind of people who like indie music about childhood, which I'm not sure is quite justified. But I think what's exciting people is that for the first time in a while, we're getting some bands coming through, guitar bands, who, without wanting to be part of the, the landfill, are about writing songs rather than about sounds and constructing textures. I think India has been very dominated by the kind of post-animal collective thing for four or five years. And uh, there's a, a kind of rush of euphoria at here are some young bands who are writing tunes again with recognisable verses and choruses. Now, I think it's, um, I believe Velvet is a nice single. I, I think it's a promise of what's to come rather than uh, an astounding debut that is going to knock people off their socks. But um, but I'm really enthusiastic about what might happen with this group. I mean, for a, for a debut single, they've thrown something really decent out there and I mean if they I really want to see them to see if they've actually got half an hour or 40 minutes worth of these songs or whether it's going to be 35 minutes of oh god let's hear the single but you know there is hope there there is hope there that that is why those of us who who remember 1986 with such vivid excitement the days of the shop assistants year of my birth year of your birth Kieran the year that me and Alexis took to the barricades with our copies of NME um, <laughs> that's why some of us are getting interested and excited by this stuff but my excitement as yet I'm allowing it to remain slightly tempered what do you think Tracy? hmm no that's all very interesting thank you I feel like I've learnt something there um my honest first impression is I'm not even sure that's the best song called Blue Velvet I've ever heard. No, it's not, it's not the best song called Blue Velvet, um, is it? So no. in a way, if you're no. going to write a song called something famous, you might... On I don't the, know. On the, bright side, glib, but. on the bright side, they didn't call it Venus in Furs, did they? So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I sort of agreed with you with that idea that it feels like it's you know the preamble to something that could be better because, I don't know, it was a little bit lacking for me. I mean, this isn't really kind of, you know, a genre which I'm, like, in love with. But there are, you know, I can recognise when things do, you know, excite me in some kind of way. And I watched the video, and the video is just, like, it's amazing, you know, they're having this great fun, it's a big party track, and they're all just, you know, drinking and having a great time. And I just thought that the track really didn't reflect the fun that they were having in the video. It didn't have that same kind of euphoria. And, Mm. of course, not all party tracks have to be kind of pop, David Goetified, you know, big bangers. 
but I don't know. I just didn't feel like that was it was that exciting. Yeah. The, the the most excitable comment compared them to early Stone Roses. Now I was never much of a Stone Roses fan, but you know Stone Roses did have a colossal impact in their time. And yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, let, let's dial down the expectations a little bit, which might actually help them in the future. People are just so desperate for another indie band to break through and make people excited well, they, they again. Will, it, it will happen at some point. I mean, it, it always it, it moves in cycles. It will happen. There will be decent guitar groups again. Who and we'll, the last we'll have a couple. Group? We'll have a couple of years of being interested in them, and then there'll be too many sound likes, and we'll forget <laughs> about them all for several years. And people say guitar music's dead, and then a few years later there'll be well, another wave the, of decent the, ones. They come around again in cycles, doesn't yeah, it? I mean, it there does. is this kind of recurrent pattern that starts to take place and once you've seen things come around you know for the sort of second third fourth time you do become a bit disheartened about the repetitive nature of yeah. it you just have to hope it's been long enough since you heard something like that that you can still enjoy it when it comes around again yeah. i guess at the end of the day it's just about something it's often someone with a unique voice i mean i'm often drawn to bands primarily by the lead singer and i think that's probably true for a lot of people you often just fall in love with a voice and at that point bands transcend whatever genre they're supposed to be fitted into anyway you know you just fall in love with a band and you think god i didn't even know i was waiting for that i just want to hear this singer that's how i felt about the day projectors album this year i love amber kaufman it's not usually my kind of thing at all but i just absolutely love the album for that exact reason yeah i think it's quite great when that happens because you can sort of draw it from a place that you weren't expecting which is what music is supposed to do. Yeah. Um, okay, that was Childhood and Blue Velvet, and their debut single is out on the 18th of November. Next up is My Choice. That was Captain Murphy featuring Azizi Gibson and Jeremiah J with Immaculation. I just want to say for the record that Michael's just spent the last kind of minute or so giving me horrified looks. I have not. Just, con- just, confusion. Just talk about your record, kid. Don't worry about me. You're putting me off. Anyway, um, yeah, so Captain Murphy uh, has collaborated with the likes of Flying Lotus um, and Tonight, which is Hudson Mohawk and Lunas in this kind of trap you know electronica mashup that we've been seeing as a massive trend this year um and it's been really exciting because we, we don't know who he is yet it's a you know it's in the hip-hop scene on the hip-hop vlogs everyone's very excited about who his identity could be um which is going to be revealed later in the month on the 15th when he debuts his album but yeah i just really really like this i loved all, i love his kind of warped you know lurching vocal i love and um, the brain feeder crew which is jeremiah J and azizi gibson um and they have this kind of sound which is this really beautiful kind of syrupy bass line over these lyrics that are just talking about wanting to have sex and their dicks so presumably this guy is actually someone everyone's heard of if his identity is going to be revealed yeah yeah well it's that to me it sounds like a kind of pitched down tile of a creator with maybe MF Doom or even Flying Lotus, but he he released this on Twitter the other day and said that he wasn't affiliated with Odd Future, so we don't know who it is. But it does sound a lot like that if you listen to 
a lot of his other stuff. He released Shake Weight earlier in the year, which sounded a lot like MF Doom or Tyler. So I don't know who it is, but it's, it's exciting. It's, it sounds like a, what I believe is called a summertime jam to me, Kieran. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel like a very November song. <laughs> He wants to feel like November. It's, 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 it's cold about, out there. Yeah, sure, we're, all, sure. we're all deliberately choosing summery tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to kind of... I mean, this sounds like the kind of thing I would be playing when I, if I were in my whip with the top down. Right. Or, well, if I had a whip, if I didn't have a Ford Focus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like you'd be driving slowly, wouldn't you? It's not like, you know, the rap that we've heard earlier in the year, the, you know, the queer rap stuff, the Zebra Cat stuff, all of that stuff, which is really hard... And you know, apocalyptic sounding, and you know, a little bit scary. This is really gentle, and it's very mellow. It's yeah, it takes mellow another time. I thought it was very funny what you were saying earlier about playing hip hop at home with the kids around, because there does come that point in life. Where, I mean, I feel like when I'm listening to a track like that, where I just think my 11 year old would just kill himself laughing at the thought of me listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> he it would just make him so happy. <laughs> But it's like, is, is this one of the big strains in underground hip-hop at the moment then, Kieran? The really slowed down, yeah. mellifluous kind of thing? Well, the one of the, the biggest hip-hop albums of the year has been Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, which has you know, been really critically acclaimed so far. It's only been a month. It was, you know, really... Everyone was really looking forward to its release, and he's part of a collective called Black Hippie, who are other hip-hop artists that are doing similar-sounding things. So, yeah, there is that real strain of artists that are doing this kind of thing. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there's rap, which is a lot harder, you know, and then, and then through that we've had queer rap and the little kind of contingent of people doing things through that. And then we've had trap. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of things going on, but this is definitely, I think, a reaction to how hard and how um, crazy rap has been this year. I've learned something. There you go. Would you listen to this again? Yeah, that no, was nice. Did I mean, you? Yeah, I liked it. Oh, there you go. You can take it, take it home. Of it. It's good, yeah. Um, that was Captain Murphy. He was expected to release his debut project, Duality, on the 15th of November. You can grab track listings and links for all the songs we featured at guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly. Now, whilst Alexis was bemoaning the state of the Mercury's last week, I was heading up on a plane with JLS to the Mobos in Liverpool. On a plane, Kieran? What, a, a private plane? Was it like Led Zeppelin's starship in, in the 1970s with the double beds at the back and the, and the full wet bar? And you, they used to have a, an actual organ there so that John Paul Jones could play the organ on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Was it like that? It was like Led Zeppelin in a period of austerity because it was an easy jet plane. A private easy jet plane. Private easy jet plane, but still easy jet, so, you know, we're still in a recession. Does that, did they get priority boarding? Yeah, they did. Oh, that's good. They you did. Know. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. And we had champagne on the plane. I say. And you I didn't know. Even, you didn't even have to pay extra for it. <laughs> and it was great. And there were competition winners who were absolutely losing it, which was, which was good. And I wasn't. And then everyone was shouting for them to do an impromptu performance, but they didn't because... The seatbelt sign was on. Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, there's so. no better reason. Although, it, given that they are a vocal harmony group, couldn't they just just sat down and sang? <laughs> You'd think so. But it was early in the morning, Michael. It okay. Early. It's Ariche speaking. It was amazing seeing all the fans, all the journalists on the planes. It reminded me of, of the Beatles. Um, and it was pretty surreal, you know. There was about 200 fans on the plane and about, you know, 3,000 people, you know, a couple of thousand people when we came off, you know, uh, waiting for us. So it's pretty incredible. But yes, it was it was a good night. 
Emily Sando picked up three awards. She was the big winner. Best female, best album, best something else. And I think, yeah, that was the third one's for most appearances at the Olympic Games opening and closing <laughs> ceremonies. Exactly. Do you like her, though? Because she does have a great voice. I've never really been sold on her, but after seeing her live, I was like, actually... Great voice, songs aren't so great. I, Heaven's terrific, but um, the rest of it's not so great, is it? Big in the mobos, so they liked her. Um, it's good, and I saw TLC and drank the Dion Warwick. It was great, and spoke to... Labyrinth and Misha B. Hello, lovely. Hello, nice darling. How you doing? Yeah. Nice to see you. You're kind of an old hand at the Mobos now, right? Yeah, I've been here like nearly three times, I think. It's kind of crazy. Um, um, but um, yeah, it's nice to be back and uh, doing what we're doing. Yeah. How has it changed since you've been here, do you think? There's more people, there's more amazing artists, there's more crazy energy, and, 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 and loads of my friends are here. And every time you come, the screams are a bit louder for you, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's kind of mad, but um, they're. they're they're very cool, man. It's nice to have that, man. It's nice to have that energy around. You know, I've been in rehearsals this morning and just being here and I keep seeing this mobile sign. It was last year I promised myself that I was going to be in the audience. To know that I'm going to be here performing, I'm, I'm nominated and I'm going to be presenting. Like, it, it's mind-blowing. It is truly mind-blowing. So, Kieran, was there anything we can actually learn about the state of uh, British urban music from the Mobos this year? Well, I wrote a piece last year after going, which was really talking about the awards ceremony having a bit of an identity crisis between wanting to stay really grassroots and kind of wanting to be the UK version of the Grammys and be very hyper-glossy and very glitzy. I mean, it still has the failings. There's no mix, best mixtape category, no best DJ. You know, the Grime and Hip Hop Award is one award where I think they should be separate. You know, all of those kind of things which are all central to, you know, the the future of, you know, underground music in the UK. But I think that at least this year they have picked a side. You know, they've gone they've gone really glitzy. They've gone, you know, really big show. And if anything, it does show the wealth of British talent because... It was dominated by British artists, whereas in the early days, you know, they had people like Trey Songs and Shaggy and, you know, people like that presenting and, you know, dominating the majority of the performances. Whereas this year it was, you know, a really British affair and I think that's something to be it's, excited it's interesting. about. I think, I think you can analyse the politics of the British music industry from the awards ceremonies, specifically from last week's awards ceremonies, because, of course, you were at the Mobos. Mm. I was at the Mercury's on Thursday as well, where... Plan B did ill manners from a specially constructed stage in the roof of the roundhouse. And for me, nothing says protest like Plan B sing on a specially constructed stage in the roof of the roundhouse to an audience entirely made up of people in suits eating expensive dinner at tables. And then on uh, Monday, I'd been to the Association of Independent Music Awards, where you know, another thing entirely, where it was very much about uh, celebrating the notion of independence rather than specific records. And uh, to 800 people, again, sitting around tables, eating food. Uh, Frankie and the Heartstrings came on and played a set. And you think, well, Frankie and the Heartstrings kind of embody a particular vision of what independent music is. Spindly white lads with guitars who are all about melody. But at the same time, yeah, I quite like Frankie and the Heartstrings, but at the same time, watching them play this award ceremony, I was thinking, there could not be a less well-fitted band to do this. This kind of spindly group, this, this should be in the back room of a pub. It shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. 800 people at a glitzy awards do and actually plan B ro- worked rather better for those purposes but yes maybe I'll try and develop this into a thesis about what we can <laughs> learn from three contrasting awards yeah. doings in one week but what, what I think is really good about the Mobos is that as much as it has all those failings about be, you know being a really sort of hypergloss affair 
I mean, most of the the artists that were winning awards that were in attendance have all come from niche backgrounds. You know, they've come from grime or they've come from dubstep. Uh, Daban, she won the best African actors, come from Afrobeats. And, you know, he's done really well in the mainstream chart this year and has, you know, been on the back of a big Afrobeats trend. So I do think that they feel a lot more relevant than the Mercury's in that way. You know, as much as they look pop and they'll always be criticised for being too commercial and having this really problematic name and stuff like that, I think that they represent, you know, how far British urban music has come over the past 17 years and that's not to be scoffed at. Lovely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Kieran. (laughs) In April last year, Mala one half of dubstep duo Digital Mystics and founder of the legendary DMZ Club Nights, travelled to Cuba with Giles Peterson. The result was Mala in Cuba, a new album released last month that manages to, as Giles himself puts it, realign the dubstep movement within sound system culture. Mala is currently touring a live version of that album and our man Ben Beaumont Thomas talked to him about it at this year's Unsound Festival. We've been working on a project with Havana Cultura and he'd been doing a couple of compilations the previous years. On this particular year, he decided he wanted to do something a little bit different, so he decided that he, he'd ask if I'd go and join him to, to write an album. So, And so you were just kind of following him around, because he was recording no, Cuban musicians. Not really uh, like that. It was more of a... It was more of like an educational trip for me, just to kind of experience Cuba, the vibes, the food, the people. Once you were working with the rhythms and starting to invest your own creativity in that, how did you kind of make a sort of meaningful hybrid between the rhythms you were given and the kind of thing that you've already made? And rather than sort of, it could have been quite easy, I suppose, to sort of glue them together in quite an unsophisticated way, mm-hmm. but you've kind of managed to thread them rather more closely. How, how did you do that? For me, uh, making music is it's about layers. I also feel that the music that I make writes itself in many ways. I'm not a person who can sit at home and go, oh yeah, right, I know exactly what I want to do. You know, I'm a person, I go to my studio, I turn on my computer and whatever comes through, comes through and I try and channel that energy and and, and, and shape uh, music according to what I can see and feel and sense at that moment in, in time. In quite a kind of improvisational way. Yeah. So it's obviously quite different when you have a whole heap of material to work with, but still the process is the same because you'll be taking pieces, but still having these abstract thoughts and colours and allowing things to shape itself. And I think the reason why the album took a long time to write it because I had to kind of like process and digest all the information, not just what I heard musically, but on a on an energetic level, on a spiritual level of people, you know, just just two human beings connecting, you know, when you're just jamming with people and I guess when you're jamming music it can be quite a personal thing. I just felt like I had so much information that I really had to kind of like strip it down and almost like let it rebuild. Yeah. Within the style of how I like to create music. (laughs) 
you know, because you think of Cuban music as being quite busy in a way yes, and, and yes. very overloaded and sensual. Yeah, and then yeah. what you do obviously is quite sparse yeah, uh, rhythmically and sort of in terms of uh, timbre and so on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Marrying those two th- impulses must have been quite hard. It's hard when you're trying to put things together that don't work. And I think that's probably why I just try and allow things to present themselves. I would like listen to a lot of the congas and the percussive instruments, especially the drummer as well. And those are the things that really inspired me to to create certain grooves or those were things that I would load up and follow and create the rest of the, 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 the record. I don't know, it's a very difficult question to answer really, because as I say, for me, the, the making music process is something that I don't analyze mm. too well. It's just something that I really feel and you know, just feel grateful for the feeling, really. Yeah. And do you feel that the whole experience is going to inform how you make music, new music, that, that is completely outside of this project? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the album was probably a, a quite a high percentage done, and I just hit a brick wall. You know, I've done so much, so many tracks, so many sessions in the studio, and you can kind of lose objectivity. Mm. And you almost like just need to put someone in the studio to even listen to it. The fact that somebody else is listening to it with you gives you kind of an objectivity back. So I asked Sinbad to come over and, 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 you know, just to kind of bounce ideas off. And he's a very straightforward guy, you know. And also he's, he's, he's great because he is classically trained with with music. So, you know, if there were certain keys that I would be playing and musically I would want to create the chords for them, but I don't have the ability to do so. It would take me ages to sit there and, and work guess. that everything out just by, I'd have to hear, because I can hear it. Yeah. But it would be, you know... And he can just sit at the keys and just be like... He can say, okay, right, these are the chords that work with that. Yeah. So, you know, we were able to bounce around a lot of ideas and I found that process to be really enhancing and and very beneficial and educational at the same time. Do you imagine sort of Digital Mystics as a project to continue? I mean, are you going to continue to make albums under Digital Mystics? Okay. Is that going to be an ongoing um, okay, project? Okay, so Digital you? Mystics is myself and Koki. DMZ is myself, Koki, Lofar, Pokes. For me, there isn't really no difference. Sometimes I would just put Digital Mystics instead of Mala. Yeah. And all the time, actually, before, I used to be always Digital Mystics. But then it was, I think it was actually Hatcher. He started writing on his dub plates, Mala and Koki. Right. Mala and then Koki dubs rather than just digital. Because me and me and Koki used to just say, if I just made it on my own, it would be Digital Mystics. If he just made it on his own, it would be Digital Mystics. Okay. Because over a period of time, even though it's the one it's the one vibe, it's the one vibration, it's the one like energy and spirit that, that works within everything, the strands are quite different and you can hear that in what we do sonically with music you know people called what we've done dubstep but we never called our music that and the reason why we called ourselves digital mystics is because we were listen- we used to listen to rinse fm the best place to get rinse fm would be at the end of my road or near loafers road actually in koki's old car years ago now <laughs> and so you just sit in the car and we'd, we'd like drink a little guinness <laughs> 
in the at the end of the road in the car, yeah, and uh, <laughs> listen to Rinse FM. And I remember one time me and him were talking. And there was a lot of change happening at that time as well, because you know when you're like, you know, 21, 22, 23, them ages, you're a man, but you're still, you're finding your way in the world still, you know, a lot of change, a lot of challenges, a lot of uncertainties are happening. And I remember anyway, we were just talking about listening to our music and that, and then we was like, what music is it that we're doing? Because Hatch was playing our tunes on radio, and we just come up with digital mystics, because, you know, we make everything on computers, everything was all digitally made, and to us it always had that kind of mystic element that kind of the abstract vibe that we didn't really understand you know the keys would be very simple but yeah you know and for us that was our sound digital mystics is my sound That was Manor speaking to Ben Beaumont Thomas. Manor and Cuba will be performed live at the Brixton Electric on the 17th of November. That's it for this week. Thank you to Michael and Tracy. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you, Kieran. And what's next on the agenda for this week? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I might go and see Bonivere at Wembley Arena this evening, this being Thursday. I was meant to go and see the Civil Wars on Tuesday night and then didn't end up getting out of the house on time. Um, missed it. And came into work the next morning to discover that they'd had some huge row and they're not going to play together anymore because of irre- irreconcilable oh, no. differences in ambition. So there you go. Missed my chance to actually see them, possibly. You've Who made knows? me a fan of them. I know. I made you interview them, didn't I? I last know. Year. And they were great. I actually really liked them. Was there any sign they hated each other then? <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> they, they were just... Came out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Dorsey, <laughs> what about you, Tracy? What's, um, what's I'll up? be doing a bit more uh, talking about Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> driving around, and... Um, I'm also going to be the last person in London to go and see Skyfall. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm just—I haven't seen it because I'm no, not interested. I'm, I'm not the last. <laughs> I'm not interested in James Bond. Although I know that there's a shot of New Cross in it, which I am really excited about because that's right. Well, you've got to go in there. Just, yeah, right? so I've, I've heard about it. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Music Weekly was produced by Matt Hill, and we'll be back next week with Alexis. Bye. For more great downloads, go to Guardian.co.uk slash audio. Guardian Holiday Offers is pleased to bring you a great selection of worldwide trips from our trusted partners. From cultural tours and adventure holidays to river cruises and cottage breaks, we have something for everyone. To find your perfect break, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash travel with us. That's guardian.co.uk forward slash travel with us.